the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Diving into an episode today that's focusing on one position, the signal callers, the gunslingers, the quarterbacks, of course. Um, to help us get into that today, our guest, you might know him from his work covering college football quarterbacks for Forgotten Five and Draft Diamonds, as well as on his Twitter account, QB University. He is Mr. Stephen Hammer. Welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having us, guys. Uh, pleasure. And uh, y'all do a really good job. So looking forward to uh, diving in and talking to some quarterbacks. Thanks, of course. And uh, you know me, Joe Lonergan. Uh, if you listen to the show before, talk about Conference USA stuff, Western Kentucky specialty sometimes over on UDD, and uh, our beat, our FIU beat writer and uh, just all-around smarter person than me, Eric Henry. How you doing today, bud? As always, you are way too nice to me, Joe, but it is another beautiful day here in the Sunshine State as I tend to lead up every podcast, but it's, uh, it's doubly so because We've got my uh, my buddy Stephen Hamner on, and he is also in the Sunshine State as well. So we're just soaking up the sunshine here, soaking up the uh, the rays and the uh, good weather, and can't complain. That's right. It's supposed to be a sunny, no rain for the next what two two weeks, I think. So you nailed it. You know. We got kind of lucky up here too. I'm in the Pacific Northwest, Stephen. For uh, if you're unfamiliar, and uh, okay, it's we're getting all the good weather right now. Not too hot, not uh, no rain or anything, and of course you don't have the bugs, which I definitely do not miss about living in the south. <laughs> we got some of that, so yeah, not mad about not having that anymore. So to jump into the football talk, guys, uh, one of the before we dive into the quarterback stuff, which is of course why Stevens joining us today, um, biggest news out of the non Power Five football world today. Uh, that's of course the day we're recording this anyway. Uh, University of St. Thomas up in Minnesota was uh, involuntarily removed from the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference due to quote unquote competitive advantages, as uh, the ESPN article written by. Uh, Mr. Myron Medcalf puts it, uh, basically, they, uh, the conference itself, the presidents, um, basically voted to take this program out of the conference because they've won the league title six times since, since 2010 and um, reached the national title game in 2012 and 2015. My reaction to this is that's insane, uh, but I, you know, I guess I just wanted to get your all's reaction to it because, you know, it, it seems like they're kicking them out specifically because they're winning a lot. And that seems, you know, really ridiculous to me. So what do you guys think about that? Steve, you're, you're a guest on the show. So I'll let you go ahead and uh, lead off first. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I just found out about it here recently. So my initial thoughts are one, can they appeal? And two, if they can't get back in, where do they go from here? Um, and I guess my, my initial just reaction is kind of like, uh, confused maybe of, of how that's possible. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it definitely doesn't fit, uh, my mind of thinking and, and you know, my initial thought would be, Hey, if, if, if you're, if you're falling behind and, and you're upset, someone else is winning, well, you should probably look at your own program and, and try to fix that first, as opposed to, uh, kicking someone out. But again, I, I don't know all the details and, and what's going on, uh, but definitely a little confused and it's surprising. Um, so, yeah. 
I'll go ahead and give my quick thoughts. When I initially saw the story, my thought was kind of like you, Steve, and like you, Joe. It's ridiculous to just kick someone out of the conference because they're so good. But what we're talking about here is not FCS to FBS. And even if it were, I would say if you're defeating everyone by quite a margin, just to give an example, as I'm looking at the story right now, last year alone, St. Thomas outscored conference opponents 357 to 96 or an average score of 45 to 12, uh, which doesn't tell the full story. St. Thomas scored at least 60 points in conference games four times and posted four shutouts. If, if you're defeating everybody by that spread, I think you should go ahead and just make the jump up to Division II. Uh, and and for, for those of you listening, we're talking about a Division Three program here. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. And I'm not blaming them for, for being so good and not saying that, hey, the other team shouldn't do a, a better job, but especially at that level. You know, I understand if, if we're talking about the, the FCS level and teams like, you know, uh, North Dakota State who, who um, have multiple championships at that level, the jump from going from FCS to FBS is a little steep. But if we're talking about from Division three to Division two, you probably should go ahead and just make the jump at that point. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'll go ahead and take the opposite opinion and say, hey, um, you've done well at that level, but why not take on better competition? Yeah, that's a fair point, Eric. That's a good point. Yeah, it, it is. And to add to that, they from the, the ESPN story, they're spending $1.1 million on football every year. Um, so that does seem really high for a D3 program. Uh, and I'm not saying they shouldn't be exploring options to play at a higher level of competition if they're winning by that many consistently. But it, it does seem weird that <laughs> – that the conference would go to the lengths of removing them involuntarily. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it seems like it, it seems like a weird way to go about it, but I, I do agree with the fact that maybe they should be pursuing other levels of competition if they're winning by that much. And clearly, you know, 1.1 million on football every year for a D three program. That seems like, you know, they're, they're playing below their means, certainly. Right. Well, I mean, just really quick, you know, our guest yeah. we have on once again, uh, Stephen Hamner, you did play at the division three level at Millsaps uh, college, which is a division three program. So, I mean, you can kind of right. relate that that's kind of excessive. Is that not fair? Right. Yeah, I think so. I think there, there's so many division three schools out there and you have some that are filled with division one talent and then some that are filled with you know um junior high talent uh, or uh, high school talent um and so like like when i was at Millsaps, my coach was uh was mike debose and he used to be the alabama head coach and so the, the way things were ran were like uh top level um very very high like a division one program basically is what was ran but i had friends and buddies who played at other schools who you know uh it, football is not taken that seriously um so, so i think you just have like a, a you have a handful of programs that are extremely good like you see you know your mount union your marriott and baylor like every year you're, you're i think it's whitewater wisconsin or, or something like that every year they're up there and and they're competing uh, for a national championship for the D3 level, or at least uh, pushing it in the playoffs. Um, and so I guess I don't know that conference very well that St. Thomas is in, but it could be that St. Thomas is like like what Millsaps used to be like or 
uh, like what Mount Union is and that they are taking football very seriously and the other programs maybe aren't taking that taking football as seriously. Uh, so that could be be a, a a reason why they are getting removed from the conference, like Joe brought up, and, and like you brought up, Eric, uh, that maybe football just isn't that big to other schools. But for St. Thomas itself, they're taking it very seriously. Um, so so definitely that could that could be be a reason why. Uh, just the fact that some schools take it way more seriously than other schools, kind of the same like Division One to an extent. You know, SEC can compared to you know, maybe like a San Jose State or something like that, uh, but not quite extreme. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even within some of the leagues in in D1 and FBS, there's clearly the schools that take football more seriously than others. Uh, we, see that right. even, we see that even within Conference USA, as we've, we've talked about a couple of times. And I'll kind of use that as a weak transition into what we came here to talk about and that's <laughs> football um so steven obviously your expertise is quarterbacks within conference usa coming into this season there are several schools that are trying to figure out who is their number one guy between as many as four different guys at this point when you look yeah. at the league who's the most intriguing quarterback battle going on right now man that's such a hard and good question though there's really like eight or nine uh potentially 10 battles going on right now inside the conference um if i had to pick one uh i might i might dodge a question and go ahead and pick two if that's okay i would say middle tennessee just because they're they're replacing uh a legend like Stockstill, arguably the best or not arguably the best quarterback in program history and uh, we can we can get into the competition uh later on i'm sure uh, but they got a few guys trying to replace him. And SAU is extremely interesting as well for the simple fact that the uh, news about former Florida State quarterback DeAndre Francois transferring and with Chris Robinson's status kind of still up in the air. Uh, and so they, they got four guys competing, and all four of those guys are former Division One, uh, played uh, a Division One level somewhere else. You had Justin Agner at Kent State, Francois Florida State, Robertson OU, and then uh, Nick Tronti up at Indiana, who is a mi- former uh, Mr. Football in Florida. So those two probably will grab my attention the most simply because Middle Tennessee is replacing a legend, and then FAU seems to be a quarterback away uh, from making making a run in conference, and just because the situation is so crazy. But there are several other good competitions I'm sure we'll get into to later on. Uh, but those top, those are the two that probably just, just catch my mind the most. It's interesting to me that you bring up Middle Tennessee State because we had somewhat of a similar conversation on last week's show. And we, I think, Eric, you and I were kind of in agreement that when we look at Middle Tennessee State, we're both pretty confident that um, Asher O'Hara is going to be the guy come week one. Now, certainly – that can change, but do, do you not feel as confident as, as we do about Asher O'Hara winning that starting job? Man, the the Middle Tennessee State, I feel like he's probably the favorite, yes. Um, I like their JUCO transfer coming in, uh, Randall Johnson. Uh, he's a big kid, good athlete, big arm. Um, had a good junior college year up at a, a school in California, I believe. I believe it was really junior college. Um, so I, I, he's like 6'5", 220. Um, so I think he has a shot too. But I can also see this 
competition of going to, to someone, not even not even Johnson, not even O'Hare. I could see it going to someone totally else, or I could see O'Hare winning it. Uh, I just think it's interesting, regardless who wins the job, just the fact they have to take over for such a successful quarterback. However, I do think uh, O'Hara and the other two guys that backed up Stockstill last year, I think they gained good experience, even though they didn't play much. They just watched Stockstill. They, they saw how he watched film, how he went about practicing. And so I think taking those mental notes could help more than, than people uh, would give that credit for. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's interesting the fact, not necessarily who wins, but just what they have to replace as far as a, uh, a, uh, success in the field. Speaking of success, when you look at the quarterbacks that are still active within conference USA right now, what quarterback success are you most surprised by? What quarterback success I'm most surprised, like a, like as far as last year's success. Yeah, there's success okay. to date in their college career, let's say. Okay, great, yeah. Man, so right off the bat, uh, that's another good question. I, I think it would be Isaiah Green just from uh, Marshall. Not that he didn't like – not that he, he I thought he liked talent, but for the simple fact, last year all you heard from – or maybe all I heard from, from the, the fan base of Marshall was their transfer coming in, uh, Alex Thompson from Wagner – and uh, people are saying it's supposed to be this, this big thing. I, I had people comparing him, saying he's going to be Chad Pennington, the receiver, uh, who the name slips my mind, is going to be there, Randy Moss. Uh, but obviously that, that did not happen. Isaiah Green kind of came out of nowhere. I think Alex Thompson was fighting some injuries when he first came in, and it's kind of opened the door for Green to, to take the reins. And, uh, man, he came out chunking. Uh, I, like, I like Isaiah Green. I think he's got a good shot to continue to develop, which we can get in later down the road. Um, but so he, he, he was probably the success that most surprised me last year um, as far as just kind of coming out of nowhere and I think winning, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, I think he won the, uh, the uh, co-freshman of the year, I believe, or newcomer of the year. No, that was uh, Morgan, but I think, I think he was co-freshman of the year uh, last year. So um, I, I think he surprised me the fact that all we heard last year was Alex Thompson was going to be their guy. He was going to be the next good Marshall quarterback. But now it, it seems that uh, Green's the next uh, good Marshall quarterback. Certainly makes sense. So, so far we've talked a lot about um, Middle Tennessee State. We've talked a lot about Marshall. Now uh, let me ask you about a team that both of those programs would consider a rival in Western Kentucky. Um, at the top of the show, we talked about teams that have a lot of different guys fighting for that one starting quarterback position. Um, right. group, what do you think is the best option for the Hilltoppers? Yeah, that's another good question. Um, so, so I liked what both of the guys did last year, Duncan and Shaley, Shanley. Um, I thought that they're, they're, they're different quarterbacks. Uh, but I thought they both did some decent things last year, even though the, the, the record, would, record wouldn't show. Um, Duncan, you know, big guy, got a good arm, good pocket passer. I think he's going to fit Helton's offense well. Um, and then Sh- Shane Lee is a little more athletic, not quite as, a, as a good as an arm as, as Duncan, uh, but a little more mobile. Um, so I think out of those guys, I, I, I think Duncan um, – it's probably ahead of Shanley. The interesting thing is with, with, with Ty Story transferring in from Arkansas, mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think he – so I know he struggled last year at Arkansas. There, there are several different quarterbacks that played. And on film, for me, it's hard to tell if his inconsistent play uh, 
was on him or if it was on other factors like like the talent around him, the talent that he was going up against in the SEC. Uh, he still did some decent things last year. I think he feels he fits Helton's offense really good too. He he's kind of a mix between Duncan and Shaley. He's a, he's a he's a, a decent athlete. He's he's decent in the pocket, good feet. He's got a good arm and can throw it downfield. Uh, so I think it's going to come between Duncan and Story. Um, as far as who's going to win, I, man, I, I, let's 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 go with, with with Story getting the majority of snaps. But I can see Duncan starting off. Nice, and uh, I know I, I know I didn't really answer your question, um, but I, I think it's going to come down between Duncan and Story. So. No, I think that answered my question pretty well. So uh, before we move off of the Hilltoppers, I got to ask, and people that listen to the show are probably tired of me harping on this particular guy, but uh, Kibaris Thomas, the former four-star guy from Lakeland, um, is it realistic at all to think he gets uh, significant snaps this year or next year? Now, I'm glad you brought him up. I, I totally forgot about him. I think, I believe whenever he was recruiting, correct me if I'm wrong, he, he was their, their highest uh, rated recruit to sign um, at the time. I right. think he was a three of, uh, I think he was a four star, if I'm not, not mistaken. Um, yeah, when he so came yeah, that, that, that's and then they upped him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So to answer the question, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen, you know, we, we've all seen crazy things happen in football that nothing would, would necessarily surprise me. I don't think he gets the start or I don't think he starts off uh, as a starter during the year, but. You know, you could definitely see um, him at some point uh, getting some playing time, um, but but I I don't think I have enough knowledge on him to to you know intellig- intelligently speak if if he is going to be the guy this year or not. Um, but never never know. So <laughs> sure. Um, staying on that uh, similar topic of guys who maybe haven't had really had their chance to shine yet is there a CUSA QB that we haven't really seen a lot from that you're particularly excited about yes so another good question I got several several guys the first one I think is going to be Frank Harris just from UTSA uh just because that the UTSA quarterback uh position struggled so much last year and uh Frank Harris was out with the injury and um so I, I live in Florida for the most part, but I also live in Texas throughout the year as well. And so I even heard of Frank Harris whenever he was getting recruited from UTSA a few years ago. Uh, so Frank Harris is an elite athlete that just hasn't got on the field yet because of, because of injury. And I know he was the favorite to win the job last year during spring before he got hurt. Uh, and now he's a favorite to, to win again. Uh, at least that's what kind of reports are saying. And uh, if you go back and watch some of his high school tapes, some of the plays he makes are ridiculous. Uh, so I'm excited to see him get in the field just to see what what he has to offer. I'm also excited to see Chris Reynolds uh, from Charlotte. If he becomes a starter, I'm excited to see him develop. He only had five and a half games last year. Uh, and then there's another guy from Southern Miss, uh, Jaden Johnson. He's a true freshman. Um, I doubt he gets any playing time this year. Who, who knows down the road? Uh, he was originally committed to Louisville. Uh, but, man, he's a, he's, he, he's a baller. He can spin it. Uh, can can under center and shotgun uh, has experience at both, which is, uh, which is, you know, somewhat rare these days with everyone just being the shotgun. Uh, but I'd, I'd be excited to see him down the road. Uh, those are probably my top three. And just from a uh, kind of a quarterback junkie standpoint, I'm excited to see uh, Tyler Johnson the third uh, play a full season uh, for UAB to see, see what he has to offer. 
For sure. I th- I, I've had similar feelings about Jaden Johnson before. And uh, is it true he originally committed to Louisville? Is that he backed off of that to go yeah. to Southern? Huh. Yeah, I believe I believe he. I, I don't. I'm not sure when he decommitted, but I think it was later on the recruiting process. So he, he was committed to Louisville. Um, 99.9% sure. So hopefully I'm not wrong there. But uh, yeah, he can he can chunk it. He's a, he's a good quarterback. He's got uh, he's got some uh, some potential to develop. He's got quite a reel of tape, and uh, as a Louisville alum, to hear he decommitted from there, that kind of stinks. Um, but <laughs> man. Before we resume our Conference USA football discussion, we're going to take some time to tell you a little bit more about our sponsors and shout out some of the other great podcasts on the SB Nation Network. Be right back. We, we've talked a little bit about who has, uh, who maybe hasn't had their moment to shine yet, um, but someone who has certainly shined seemingly every moment of his college career is uh, North Texas's Mason Fine. I think. Everybody here would be in agreement that North Texas is in good shape, uh, in the best shape in terms of quarterback as far as Conference USA goes. But, uh, Stephen, in your opinion, what school is in second best shape as far as their quarterback situation? Yeah, another good question. Uh, this is a, this will make Eric happy, but definitely FIU. Uh, just because I'm a big James Morgan fan, which I'm sure we'll talk more in detail uh, later on. But like like James Morgan a lot, uh, I think he's an NFL caliber quarterback. Uh, they also have a good recruit. Uh, the, the, the name is slipping my mind. I believe it's Stone Norton uh, that I think could develop and it. learn behind. Okay, good. <laughs> but I think he could develop and learn behind Morgan as well. He's he actually reminds me of Morgan uh, in, in, a, in a way, and I think he could develop eventually. Uh, plus, uh, you never want to bet against Coach Davis. Um, and then also, I would I would say Marshall. Uh, yeah, I like Isaiah Green, but just just because of how good Coach Holiday is, and they are always competitive every year. And it wouldn't surprise me to make a for them to make a run at conference this year, um, regardless of quarterback play. Even when Isaiah Green went down last year, uh, I still think they they won two out of those three games, maybe. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would say FIU and, and Marshall are in good positions right now. Certainly makes a lot of sense, um, Eric. I think you had a couple. Anything to uh, you had a couple questions to add to that, right? Sure, absolutely. I'll go ahead and jump in here. And once again, for those of you listening, we've got Stephen Hamner, former Millsaps College quarterback, uh, runs uh, his own website, DraftDiamonds.com, as well as Forgotten uh, Forgotten Five covers quarterbacks. Steve, I just want to jump in as far as we'll start with FIU. What is it? And I I spoke to you earlier in the year, actually last season about James mm-hmm. Morgan and his transition going from the air raid offense at Bowling Green to Rich Skrowski's spread offense. And I just want to ask you in particular, what are the things that you see with James Morgan in this offense that's led to his success as opposed mm-hmm. to the lack of success that he had in the air raid? And for those of you listening, you're talking about a guy in Morgan who spent two seasons at Bowling Green and had 27 touchdowns with 24 interceptions. So just what do you think has led to his success in this offense? Yeah, that's another good question. I, I think the coaching staff at FIU has done a great job in, in setting Morgan up for success uh, as far as giving him more options than just chunking it deep like you might see the air raid option. So with FIU's offense, it's a variety of packages. You know, they have 20 personnel, 21 personnel. You might see them go 10 personnel. So they have a variety of, of packages that fit Morgan well. And so what you'll see them do a lot is, 
set up the deep throw by going short to mid-range throw. So, of course, the, the running game is going to set up the pass, but you can also set up the deep throw by short passes, mid-range passes. I, I think Morgan's found his perfect offense, um, uh, the perfect offense for him at FIU. And as far as, as the struggles that he had at Bowling Green, I actually think that has helped him here at FIU because he's extremely com- comfortable in the pocket. Uh, which I think the experience at Bowling Green, just because you live in the pocket and the air raid, even though the success wasn't what it is here at FIU, I think that experience of just being comfortable in the pocket, he doesn't freak out when the first read isn't there. He goes through his progressions. So I, I think being comfortable in the pocket has helped. Uh, being comfortable in the pocket, uh, learning that from Bowling Green has helped at FIU as well. Um, and just to go on more about, about Morgan, he's, he's, a, he's, a, uh, he's good in the play action, strong arm. When things don't go his way, like right off the bat, like say even against, the, I believe, Western Kentucky, things are struggling off the bat. He, he does a good job riding out the storm and just trusting the game plan, and eventually things go your way. Um, so I think, yeah, I think to answer the question, uh, the coaches do a good job setting him up. And uh, he, he's smart with it, and he knows when to take his shots and, and when not to. And to uh, this, this being comfortable in the pocket, regardless if it's a pass rush or not. Um. No, sure. So I want to go really kind of an inside football question or kind of a nerdy football question I think our fans, our listeners will appreciate. This is something I asked you in the article, but I want you to go and just talk about it here on the podcast. Can you give a couple differences between the – air raid in the spread because most fans on its surface see two offenses that prioritize throwing the football per se. And that's not right. necessarily the case. And I was wondering if you can kind of give just, you know, your own playing experience in which you played in, in both systems. Sure. Just kind of give a, a little bit of detail as far as what the air raid entails versus the spread and how that can affect quarterback success or lack thereof. Sure. Yeah. Air, air raid is, is kind of exactly what it sounds. You you live in the air, right? So think air raid. The majority of of the play call is going to be a pass. So let's say you have good personnel around you, like at like at Texas Tech, great. But let's say you have bad personnel around you, and when you pass constantly and you have you know two three completions, that's three and out. Thirty seconds has gone off the game clock, and now the other team has the ball. Um, it's not a great recipe for success. The personnel isn't around you. The spread offense has has how do I say it's nothing to do with, with the air rate if that if that makes sense. So you're spreading the field, and then you have an option. You, you, you most of the time when you spread the field, you have options. Okay, depending on what the defense shows me, what the coverage is, I have an option to run A play, run B play, run C play, whatever it may be. Um, so like a good example of a spread, a spread offense that is nowhere near the air raid would be like, like a Neil Brown or Troy now at a uh, West Virginia. Um, so a lot of times their, their short mid range throwing can set up their pass play. I mean, can set up their, their rushing plays as opposed to rushing plays setting up the pass play. Um, so I think spread, think spread, the field is more open up. That doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean we're going to throw more. Air raids, thinking that's kind of exactly what it sounds. You're going to just, just throw it all over the field. If you got good personal, great. If not, then uh, it, it's probably not going to work out too well for you. Um, I hope that kind of answered your question without getting into kind of the nuts and bolts of it. 
no, no, sure. And once again, that's just something that I want to throw out there for, for some yeah. people who, who, who may say, hey, you know, you have the air raid versus the spread. And, and essentially what they see in trying to make the, the, the analogy between um, those two offenses, they see a bunch of receivers and think it's the same offense. But in actuality, it right. does have its, its, its nuanced differences. But back to CUSA quarterback battles here for a second. Uh, a team that's brought in a lot of competition is Old Dominion. And just what are yeah. your thoughts on some of their quarterbacks? Yeah. That's another good question. Old Dominion, I don't think, first off, I don't think people realize how good Blake LaRussa uh, actually was last year. He was fourth in conference in yards. The only people that threw more yards, um, yeah, yeah, fourth in conference in yards. Uh, Jamar Smith, Stockstill, and, and Mason Fine were the only quarterbacks to throw more than him. So I, I think losing him is a little bigger than people may think. But at the same time, I think a lot of that offense was primarily due to being behind a lot. He had good targets. Um, and so the, the, the defense he played against, for the most part, uh, was kind of in, in, a, in a deep uh, zone, if you will. Uh, but still worth noting. Um, so with ODU, I think it's probably down to three guys right now with uh, Stephen Williams, Stone Smart, and – uh, correct me if I'm not pronouncing it right, Messiah DeWeaver, I believe. Um, you got it. So, yeah, perfect. So DeWeaver is definitely the, the big recruit uh, originally at Michigan State, then went to the uh, last chance youth school at uh, East Mississippi. Uh, Stone Smart, the JUCO transfer. Uh, I'm not sure if he started off at a different school or not. And then Stephen Williams, who I actually really like a lot uh, coming off sh- shoulder surgery. Uh, I think that battle is kind of up in the air. Uh, Williams obviously has the experience at Old Dominion, even though last year he only had a few games under his belt. The year before that, he started the majority of the season. Uh, DeWeaver's got big upside, uh, good athlete. Uh, it just, just depends on if, you know, he picks up the offense and, and, and uh, how people kind of respond to him. Uh, so I, I think this battle could kind of go into and in deep into fall camp and even the first game or two of the season. Uh, I think several of the battles in summer school they could probably probably do that honestly. Um, but yeah, that one, that one, man, that one's probably the least amount I actually have for you. Uh, I think that's a, that's totally up in the air, and either, either three, either one of those guys uh, could end up taking the majority of snaps. So a program that Joe and I have had our fair share of battles on this lovely podcast that, you know, the masses have to listen to us debate all the time is the Charlotte 49ers. What are your thoughts on their quarterback situation? I had a chance to see Chris Reynolds, excuse me, I had a chance to see Hassan Klu uh, when I went to, uh, to Charlotte to cover the Charlotte FIU game. Did not have a chance to see Chris Reynolds, but as you mentioned, he's a guy who in five and a half starts showed flashes of success. Uh, I think both Joe and I feel that he has some solid potential, but Will Healy in his first season is also bringing a guy in Brett Keen who was at South Florida and, and is a talented guy as well. Just what are your thoughts on that quarterback competition? Yeah, another good question. I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I like Chris Reynolds too. Uh, he just found a way to get it done. Um, he's just a kind of a competitor, walk on, just kind of gritty. Um, so I, I think with, with Reynolds, if he had, he had a good spring – um, if he can fit the offense that Healy wants, I think he's probably got a pretty decent shot at uh, starting starting uh, starting the starting the year off under center just because of his experience last year. Um, he he's, he managed to throw for over a thousand yards in five and a half games last year, and they only had ten passing touchdowns the whole year. He had six of those in, in just five and a half games. 
Um, so I, I, I like Chris Reynolds, a uh, decent athlete. Um, the thing with Keen, uh, there, there's obviously not much game film from college. I think he only has like 300-something yards uh, when he was at South Florida. Uh, but he was a pretty good good recruit, uh, backed up several good quarterbacks at South Florida, just couldn't, for whatever reason could never get on the field. And he definitely didn't transfer to Charlotte to be a backup. So, again, that's kind of up there at that old Dominion category. I can see uh, this battle going into the first game of the year. I believe they open up with an FCS school, and I could be mistaken, uh, but I think they open up with an FCS school. So I could see Keen and Reynolds kind of getting uh, – or splitting time and, and, and kind of letting that quarterback competition go out to the beginning of the year. Uh, but at the same time, I can see Healy kind of wanting to name a guy and stick with him. Uh, so, again, that's kind of – that's up in the air. Keen's almost like a like a – a wild card to me just because you don't really know what to expect. Um, but he may be a guy who just needs opportunity when he gets in the field, he, you know, might have some success. So uh, no, another good competition. And you are correct. They do open up on August 29th, 7:30 at Jerry Richardson stadium versus Gardner Webb. So they are playing a their level competition. Before we resume our Conference USA football discussion, we're going to take some time to tell you a little bit more about our sponsors and shout out some of the other great podcasts on the SB Nation Network. Be right back. Two other competitions I want to touch on really quick. Uh, Southern Miss. This is another guy in Jack Abraham who Joe and I have kind of been back and forth on. I think both of us believe that he's the best option for Southern Miss. I just want to know, and that seems not to be as much a, a quarterback competition as much as it is he's going to be the guy and has something to prove. What are your thoughts on Jack Abraham? Yeah, that's another good question. He's obviously extremely efficient last year. I think he led the nation in court, uh, completion percentage like 73, which is impressive. But at the same time, um, the offense they, they ran last year, a lot of those throws are quick screens, uh, quick bubble screens, running back, uh, jailhouse screens, the receivers, kind of quick things that are easy uh, completions. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from Abraham at all because uh, I think he actually had a pretty good year last year his first year starting at the, at the uh, Division one level. Um, but I think the offense didn't do him many favors either as far as taking deep shots, opening up the field. Um, so they, they got a new offensive coordinator. Uh, the name slips me right now. Uh, but they got a new offensive coordinator to open up the field. Um, so I, I agree with both of y'all. I think Abraham gets the start. Uh, I think the competition uh, is just to push him, make him better. Uh, but you know, who knows down the road? I like that. I like Jaden Johnson and uh, the other quarterback. Wally did some good things last year too when he when he uh, got his opportunity. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think Abraham his first year starting. Uh, he's had a full offseason to develop. I think you give him an, another shot and uh, see what happens. I have a follow up to that. Yeah, in. Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. You got it. Yeah, sure. Um, so, Stephen, as kind of a, a QB expert and someone who's who's seen these position battles go down once or twice, um, when you're picking a QB one, the guy who's going to lead your team and uh, you know execute your offense, and it comes down to a guy between someone with a lot of experience versus maybe a guy who's raw but definitely seems to have you know more talent or just seems to be very talented in general. What do you kind of find yourself leaning toward in those situations? Yeah, that's another good question. I think you'd have to see what kind of talent do you have around him. So, say if you if you have a, a, a stud running back, you got a solid D, and then you got some good receivers. I'm probably going to take the conservative approach 
and I'm going to take the guy who's experienced with less talent, but I know he knows what to do. He's going to recognize the defense. He's not going to put us in a bad situation. Now, if, if I'm on a team that, say, maybe lacks talent, uh, we, we don't have a great line, or, or you know, defense gives up a lot of points, whatever it may be, and I know that a conservative quarterback isn't going to win me ball games. I, I'm probably going to take the more talented guy, um, you know, and, and let him learn on the fly in hopes that in a year or so we're going to be better because he's playing right now. Um, me personally, with this situation, I, I think it's, I think you give it to Abraham. But me personally, I kind of have that that gunslinger's mentality. I, I kind of like letting the more talented guy get in there and just kind of rocking and rolling and seeing what happens. Uh, but this situation, I, I think Abraham gets the shot, and I think it's his job to kind of uh, lose, if you will. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you asked that question, Joe. It kind of piggybacks into something I was going to ask uh, Steve here. When you're talking about young quarterbacks, what are some of the traits yep. that you look for? We're talking about, you know, maybe some of the younger guys at Old Dominion who haven't played a ton, or maybe a guy like a Kyle Loxley at UTEP who – uh, had some up and down struggles after coming from JUCO, you know. But you can the the list goes on. Even maybe a younger guy like you mentioned, a Stone Norton uh, at FIU, who won't see time this year, but eventually will see his time on the field. Right. What do you look for in a younger quarterback to really say, hey, he really has shown that potential and he's made a good transition from the high school level or the JUCO level to the FBS level? Right, it's a good question. I, I think first you look at the the potential of growth, and obviously you'd have to recruit the kid and, and kind of see him grow through the years. So if a quarterback's growing and he's doing everything he can do to, to get better. I think that's going to, uh, I think the signs are going to be, he's going to continue to do that in college. And then I think also uh, noticing and seeing how a quarterback responds in certain situations. Um, does the quarterback know the situation? Does he know he needs to, to get 10 yards on third and 10? Does, does, does he know uh, what play to audible whenever they see a cover one or a cover two defense, whatever it may be. Uh, so I think potential to develop, and uh, as every coach would say, just being coachable. I know it's kind of a cliche answer, but if, if you got a kid that's coachable and he's moldable and you can kind of mold him into the type of quarterback you want uh, leading your team. Um, and then, of course, you know, ta- talent, like everyone else, you want talent. But at the same time, you, you want a kid that's going to come in and learn your offense. I think Mason finds a great example, obviously not heavily recruited, uh, people said, oh, maybe he doesn't have the talent or the size to do this, but he was coachable and he was able to get molded into the best quarterback in the conference right now. Yeah, just to go ahead and finish up here, we've already established that we believe that the top two quarterbacks in the conference are North Texas' Mason Fine and FIU's James Morgan. But I just want to go ahead and get your thoughts here. Uh, after those two guys, who are your top yeah. two quarterbacks? Yeah, so after those, those after uh, Simon Morgan, I think you got you got Isaiah Green, uh, you got Tyler Johnson III from UAB, and then Jamar Smith. I think uh, we talked uh, about Green already a little bit, but I think T- TJ3 uh, at UAB, I'm excited to see him get a full season. So he only played five games last year, and most of his experience was in big games, uh, uh, conference games, Texas A&M, the bowl game, conference USA championship game. Um Johnson, he opened up the field a lot more once he took over the reins for UAB last year. He throws a very good deep ball. Uh, he just makes plays. Uh, the thing with him, he does throw a good deep ball, but he, sometimes he can tend to rely on that deep ball a little too much. Uh, so I'd like to see him take what the defense gives him a little bit more and kind of get that completion percentage up. Um, I think that will help him uh, get out of some trouble. 
Um, but I think he's got a ton of potential. And he could be big for UAB. And then I'm a big Jamar Smith fan uh, from Louisiana Tech. Um, I think he's got tons of potential. Uh, I think he has, he has talent to be a, a next-level guy. I know some of the fans are kind of um, frustrated with him, but I think he's got talent to be a next-level guy. Strong arm, good mechanics, good lower half, a very quick release. He's throwing a pretty ball. If you watch him throw, it's effortless for him. Uh, so his biggest thing is just being consistent. You'll see him make a great throw, great play, or have a great drive, and he'll have three straight three and outs. You know, so I think him just finding ways to get completions, 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 completions lead to drives, uh, sustained drives, and completions lead to three and outs. So I think if he can put together a good year, like a year he's capable of, I think Louisiana Tech could be dangerous. Um, so yeah, just consistent and just just him knowing the situation, not trying to do too much. Um, so those would be my next three guys kind of after Fine and, and, and uh, Morgan. It would be Green, Smith, and Johnson third, in, in no particular order, just kind of jumbled in there. Most definitely, of course. If there's no particular order, we've got the entire offseason and next season to go ahead and sort that out. So we'll go ahead and pass right. thing off to Joe. Go ahead and wrap it up here. But, you know, Steve, once again, we'll say thanks for coming on and go ahead and catch you out in Clearwater. And sooner, but uh, hopefully on, on the sooner side, we'll get you out to FIU so we can uh, – watch some, uh, some quarterbacks in person and get your thoughts and we'll go ahead and uh, and wrap it up. But yeah, man, once you thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Thank you, Eric. To echo what Eric said, Stephen, can't thank you enough for coming on today. Uh, if you, uh, if anybody listening wants to follow Stephen's work, of course you can find him on Draft Diamonds and Forgotten Five. You can also follow him on uh, both of his Twitter accounts. That first one is uh, just at Stephen Hammer, uh, tweeting about you know all of his work over there. And then of course you can find him with his other account, which is QB University, and um, that is at University of CO2. Um, so check out all the stuff that he does. Really great insight into what uh, what it takes to be an elite quarterback at, at the college level. Um, so for everybody listening, thank you once again for sticking with us through the off season and uh, come back every week as we get through it. Uh, get through the off season together. If you want to follow Eric and myself on Twitter? We are at Joehio underscore and Eric is at Eric C Henry underscore. And, of course, like all of Underdog Dynasty's social media as well. And uh, with that, we will say thank you all again for listening and happy football watching.